Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Today is the day I talk to somebody who lives chesed. This is a huge day for me because I get to talk to the person who has been the biggest influence in my life when it comes to self-acceptance, compassion, and love. Cheryl Paul is a counselor specializing in relationship anxiety and the author of The Wisdom of Anxiety, How Worry and Intrusive Thoughts Are Gifts to Help You Heal. For context, I love this book so much that I've purchased 20 copies of it to date for friends and loved ones. Cheryl was the first person to ever teach me how to have compassion for myself and for my quirks and sensitivities and worries. Aside from her teaching, she lives a life geared towards self-compassion and devotes her life to helping others attain the same thing. Oh, Cheryl, this is, I can't express to you how much of a dream come true this is. A friend of mine, Rebecca Lowen, introduced me to your book. She actually told me multiple times to get your book, and I was not receptive to it at all. I was just like, this is not, you think I have anxiety. You think, And I, I've known that I have worries and fears and, and anxiety, but I didn't think I needed a book for it. I could handle it on my own, and, and I wasn't receptive to it at all. And then there was a breaking point, and I was like, okay, it's time. And I got your book, and then I got 20 more copies of your book to give oh. to people. <laughs> because it oh, was— that's amazing. It was the greatest thing I'd ever read because you approach fear and worry from such a real place, and it's not something that is like the typical self-help book. It's somebody who's lived it and who talks from their own experience, but I think most importantly, who practices self-compassion and who has compassion for themselves. And that comes through very clearly. And it's something that you're able to pass on to people through what you write. And this week is compassion, it's expansiveness, it's chesed, which I learned earlier this week is a sense of expansiveness that gives you the space to love yourself, feel connected to yourself, value yourself enough to do what you're here to do in life, which is wonderful, <laughs> but very difficult <laughs> for somebody like me. Um, because whenever I think I'm being compassionate with myself, I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, wow, you're being really hard on yourself. And so when I thought about who it was that I wanted to help me understand chesed in a lived way, you were the first person that came to mind because I've learned so much from you to begin with. And to take the opportunity to learn from you in a deeper way would just be the greatest privilege. So what I'm curious about for you is how you came to speak the language of self-compassion and make it something that was so important to you that you decided to devote your career to it. First of all, thank you for everything you just said. That's an excellent question. I don't know that anyone has ever asked me how I came to approach my work through the lens of compassion because people mostly are asking me about anxiety itself more than the lens and the mindset. But absolutely, I can't talk about anxiety without talking about it from a deeply compassionate mindset. And some of that is my training in Jungian psychology, which views all of our symptoms, not as evidence of disorder or brokenness, but as evidence of the soul's attempt to become more whole, to live into our wholeness, our intrinsic wholeness, to remember our wholeness, that our symptoms are coming in service 
of healing and growth and wholeness, not as evidence that there's something wrong and that we have to get rid of it and we have to be ashamed of it. It is the exact opposite. So I've been trained in that mindset for a very, very long time, going back to my graduate training at Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara. And then there was this incredible confluence of the highly sensitive population that ended up finding their way to me and raising my two highly sensitive sons. And can you tell us what highly sensitive means also, just for context? Yes. So highly sensitive is a temperamental trait that 15 to 20%, I think maybe as high as 30% of all species, human and non-human, have, which is a heightened awareness of our senses, but also highly attuned to the emotional realm, often shows up early in life with an awareness of death, a fear of change, a fear of loss, because we are aware as very young people that that ultimately ends in death. And so there are a lot of challenges that come from being highly sensitive, but when we learn how to honor that innate sensitivity that many, you know, 15 to 30% of our population has, that it can be channeled into exquisite compassion, empathy. These are the most compassionate, empathic people on the planet, truly. It's what our world needs more of. The challenge is that so often highly sensitive kids are raised to think there's something wrong with me. You're too sensitive. You're too much. Calm down. What's wrong with you? Get over it. Can't you take a joke? So these are the common messages that highly sensitive- You see me smiling because I'm like, yep, that's (laughs) Yeah, we all heard it. We all heard it growing up. Just like, get over it. You know, buck up. Through nobody's fault, really, this is not about pinning blame on anyone in particular. It's a societal, it's a cultural, it's really a global problem that we have forgotten how to honor sensitivity and that in some ways, the highly sensitives are also the poets, the artists, the mystics, like the, the people that we desperately need, often the therapists, the teachers, the helpers. So there was this meeting of my clients and my course members with my children, my sons who became vegetarians, like my older son when he was five. So it's this, to me, exquisitely beautiful human soul that has reverence for all beings, every being on the planet. And I was seeing the same in my clients and they were mirroring each other. And so it became crystal clear that even though people were coming to me for their anxiety, their relationship anxiety, their health anxiety, whatever the current spike was, whatever theme their anxiety was hanging its hat on, and they were coming with this whisper of shame, right? Sharing these dark thoughts that were in their heads thinking I should be so ashamed. And I would meet them with, first of all, I've heard this a hundred times now. And now 20 years later, I've heard this thousands of times. And it's evidence of your profoundly empathic, beautiful heart. I imagine it was also a journey to get to that point because if you yourself are sensitive, at least I found with myself, I think my dog is highly sensitive. Like I think all of these beings in my life are highly sensitive. And it's very hard to give to others what you don't give to yourself. That's probably the biggest struggle and the thing that I've been working on this week Because where does it come from if you don't have it? So I'm curious for you, was it a process of 
cultivating that in yourself, have you always been compassionate with yourself and thus compassionate with others? Did you go through struggle to get there? How did you get to where you are? So I was very blessed to be surrounded in early life by some beings, a dog included, who just loved me unconditionally. And I had that experience of unconditional love. My brother was one of them, my grandparents. And so I had some sense of my goodness. I also, by some lucky serendipitous decision on my parents' part, I was the only one of my three brothers that was sent to a Jewish nursery school. We are a Jewish family, but non-religious, bordering on anti-religious. My grandparents had left all of that behind, had having been raised Orthodox, that was not their scene. And yes, we celebrated the holidays, but that was pretty much the extent of it. And I went to a preschool in Los Angeles called Temple Isaiah on Pico Boulevard. And I fell in love with God. I fell in love with God and with Judaism. And I came back home every week. Can we celebrate Shabbat? Can we celebrate (laughs) Hanukkah? But even beyond that, there was no one talked about God in my house. Nobody. And it was sort of a bad word. And I just knew that there is some energy, right? It wasn't a being for me. It was just an energy of love, yeah, right? Of love, of profound compassion, deep, deep compassion. And I carried that with me, you know, and it, and it went in and out in terms of my active relationship to that energy of love. And then I was blessed to find, to meet a best friend, like a true best friend when I was 11. And she's still, she's wow. still wow. over 50. So I had these sort of like God drops yeah. along the way of here. These things are really hard. There were some really hard things, but here, here's going to be a mirror. And a best friend can be that too, a mirror of your intrinsic goodness and lovability, right? I am here to stick by you no matter what. And we were that for each other through our adolescence, which were also full of tumultuousness for me. And then meeting my husband, you know, another mirror. You know, I I think it's somewhat true that we can't give to others what we don't know how to give to ourselves, but I also think that there is a reciprocity, there's a relationship and it's through the relationship with others. Also therapists. I've had incredible therapists over the years who have held that space of unconditional positive regard, like the very basics of therapy right? And have mirrored that back to me and held me in so much compassion that I've absorbed that and just kept absorbing it over the decades. So what would you say to somebody who struggles with perfectionism and shame and those voices that keep, I'm talking about myself, but that keep me from moving into that space of (laughs) self-compassion and how to increase that space? I, I know just because I have read your book multiple times. You talk about your struggle when you graduated college and when anxiety kicked in at that point for you in your life. You talked about perfectionism, something that I grapple with a lot. And something that I'm also thinking about during, I mean, all of my creation, but particularly right now with this creation, I want it to Mm. be something that's perfect. And and Mm. it's easy to get caught up in that and to think, 
I should be here. I should be doing this. Next week is about discipline and restraint. I should be more disciplined. I'm not disciplined enough. Like all of these critical voices to keep me in line. And so I'm wondering what advice you have when it comes to increasing my chesed for myself, how to adopt that. Yeah, it's a practice. And so it's even having compassion for the lack of compassion, right? It's like the meta layers of, oh, there's my perfectionist. Hi, hi, you, you can come in. You can come in. I'm going to practice inviting you in instead of hating the part of me that's self-critical because then we're in that additional layer of self-criticism that we make room. In the book, I talk about drawing out the table, right, of psyche. And at the head of the table is that inner parent who we are growing all the time to be that voice of compassion and wisdom and groundedness and the compassionate friend. How would I respond to a friend in that moment, in this moment, when I hear that critical voice coming in, when I hear that demand, it has to be this, and I should be more disciplined, and I should, 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 and all the shoulds, right, that are incredibly unhelpful. There's my perfectionist. How would I respond to a friend in this moment? And practicing that voice practicing that way of responding. And also what I, what I say to younger people is that some of it happens with time. You know? yeah. Some of it is just what happens when you grow up and you are on a path of inquiry and reflection and spirituality and grappling, that some of it just starts to fall into place because 20s, 30s, there's a lot of unknown and ungroundedness and who am I and what am I doing? What's my place in the world? And then there are just certain mindsets that I find incredibly helpful with perfectionism. And one is, am I here to serve? And is this, whatever I'm offering, is it of service? And if I'm here to serve, then it doesn't really matter so much how it's received. Is it perfect? No one actually cares about any of that, right? What they're caring for is is your heart, is your intention. That's what they care about. And so it's coming back to intention all the time, every day, how can I best serve? How can I be of service? And I'm going to put it out into the world. Every time I write a blog post, every time I hit publish, every time I post on Instagram, of course, there's a part of me that's like, is it good enough? Where's it going to land? Is there a typo? Oh no. And then it's, oh, hi, hello, perfectionist. I'm going to set you over here. (laughs) I'm not going to kick you out of the room, but I'm just going to set you over here and Trust that whatever I'm sharing, if it touches one person, that is enough. If it touches one person and it makes them think about something in a new way, in a more compassionate way, if it it softens the voice of shame, that's enough. When I asked you about coming on this podcast, I told you it would be for Svirata Omer. And you said, I love counting the Omer. (laughs) And so I'm curious, what do you love about counting the Omer? Well, I love all Jewish practice. And I will say that I fail a ton. I I miss most of it. It's like, what, 49 (laughs) days? Like, I probably... I'm all gung ho in the beginning. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Completely into it. <laughs> yeah. And then it like falls away. And then I have to watch like the guilt. And then I work with that. And I just love Jewish practice. I love that these practices exist. The the main roadmap that I've used for counting the Omer comes from Rabbi Jill Hammer. And um, I took a class with her called Wheel of the Year. And she shared this PDF where each day she would talk about that day's spherot, the blending of the spherot, as a biblical female. Mm, Cool. 
Yeah, it was really, it's a really cool way of bringing the feminine into this practice of how, how does Ruth embody, you know, Chesed, whatever, each one. And yeah, so I love that. Yeah. Miriam, Ruth, all these people, I mean, who knew there were 49, but apparently there were 49. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> so when I've done it, I've, I've just used it as a, as a journaling practice to take her prompt or her paragraph and ask, how does this relate to my life today? What is one piece I can extract from it that feels meaningful for me? That's bringing like your heart to Judaism. And I think that's what we're all called to do. And it looks different for everybody. Here I am affirming you. You're doing great. Thanks. <laughs> that's, the right, that's the right Judaism. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I, feel, I feel lighter and I, and I am so grateful to you. I'm grateful for you and for your existence in the world and and you're feeling compelled and strong enough to express yourself the way that you do. You've completely changed my life and you've also completely changed my Omer and helped me feel the expansiveness of this week and really tap into that. So I'm eternally grateful to you. Thank you, Kylie. So beautiful to hear and receive. Thank you. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I came out of my conversation with Cheryl feeling lighter. It feels like the conversational version of getting a massage. I feel the same kind of relaxed self-contentment that I felt yesterday with my do. I rarely experienced this in a human being, but it felt like she embodied the trait of chesed as Dasi explained it to me. She had this expansive nature that made it feel like however I show up with her is okay. You talk to her and you feel the sense of loving space that is hard to explain, but hopefully something that came through the audio the way that I felt it. She is truly chesed embodied. And beyond that, she helped me feel like my work is accepting myself exactly as I am, not trying to correct the things I feel are problems or ridding myself of the shame, but accepting all of it as part of me. Also felt amazing to hear that perfectionism isn't necessarily something that can be unwired, it just is. And so with the feeling of lightness and the sense of comfort I have with myself to carry me through the day, tomorrow I'll wrap up the first week of the Omer with a reflection on chesed and all that I've learned this week. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Nine Days to Stretch My Soul is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Kylie Unell, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruske, Josh Cross, Quinn Waller, Robert Scaramuccia, and Sarah Fredman-Ader. Our team includes Stephanie Butnick, Leah Leibovitz, Mark Oppenheimer, and Tanya Singer. Please go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. For more of me, you can follow at Kylie Unell on Instagram. For more information about this or any other of Tablet's podcasts, visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts.